Masechet Megillah Daf Hey. We begin with the Mishnah. We mentioned in the first Mishnah that a large unwalled city reads on the 14th. We want to define, how do you know? What, what, how large is large? We might expect an answer to be, you know, 5,000, 10,000 people. But instead, we have the unusual answer, any place that has 10 people that have no jobs, uh, that are idling around. Now, why would this be a good explanation for that, that why that city should read on the 14th? And if it doesn't, if it's smaller, then it's a village and it reads on the day of assembly. Well, it may, uh, it may have a very good reason. Uh, the Gemara is going to say that these are not just 10 uh, unemployed losers. Rather, we're talking about 10 people that are in the Bet Knesset and therefore probably are actually community leaders. They are people who are judges, teachers, chazan, shamash, uh, people that the community relies on. So batlanin doesn't mean they don't do anything. as the opposite. They don't have a regular job of, as a farmer or a smith but rather they are uh, compensated by the community in order to help out and do. So it has to be a big enough city that can sustain having a professional, this professional class of people that don't have regular jobs. And that would make sense. If the city has 10 people that are always around in Bet Knesset, then anytime someone needs to read, you know you will find uh, 10 people in the Bet Knesset. There's no, no problem with that. And therefore they can read on the 14th. In the villages, they are dependent. They don't have their own court. They don't have their own leadership. They're not guaranteed a minyan. And therefore, they have to wait until the Monday and Thursday when they all get together, either in the villages or in the big city. And that's why they have to only, they don't, they don't get, in the small villages, they probably don't get a minyan every day. And so that's the point. They have to read on Monday and Thursday. So if you have a built-in guaranteed minyan of minyan goers, then, then you could read on the correct day on the 14th. All right, so that seems to be what batlanin means. And pachot mikan if you have nine or less people, then that is called a village, and the village would go back to the previous Monday or Thursday. Now, be'elu amru maktimim be'lomacharin. Regarding those issues, we said, with the rabbis taught that we go to an earlier date, not a later date. Even if the 14th is, let's say, on Sunday, we don't push the villagers to the next day, Monday. You can never read Purim on a, uh, never read Megillah on a later date. You always have to go back to an earlier date. Uh, similarly, if it's the 14th is on Shabbat, uh, then uh, the, the, the cities and villages don't read on the 15th. They can't do that. They have to go to an earlier date. The word Be'elu is curious because we're only talking about one issue as opposed to the next part of the Mishnah, which is many issues. Those four issues, for those, and when they fall out on Shabbat, and we can't do them on Shabbat, we push it forward to Sunday and not backwards to Friday. So my question is, why do you say be'elu as a plural, if actually we're only talking about one issue? So you might say be'elu on these days, or uh, that the, the many days, 11, 12, 13, 14, or maybe Be'elu means in the villages, even though the previous word really just said azekfad, it didn't refer to them in, uh, as a plural. Uh, to answer this, if you look at the Tosefta parallel here, Tosefta says, regarding Machasita Shekel and reading Megillah, 
both of these, makdimim velo ma'acharim. So this be'elu may be a remnant of a source of the Mishnah in which there actually was another item that in, on which you uh, do it earlier and not later. The machasita shekel refers to the fact that if it's um, the time to announce machasita shekel on Rosh Chodesh Shadar um, is, is Shabbat, then you, put, then you announce it beforehand. Um, and, uh, and, and you, or you do it the Shabbat beforehand, like when we read the parasha of, of Shekalim. Okay, anyway, that would explain that word, Be'elu. Uh, so regarding Mikra Megillah, we always go earlier, but regarding Atzeh Kohanim, this is the, the, the time when various families, as we saw, would donate wood, and the Kohanim also had their date to donate wood to the Bet HaMikdash. And they have a certain date. If that date happens to be Shabbat, we don't do wood donations on Shabbat. You have to carry all the wood and other things that would violate Shabbat. So that's not proper. Instead, you go forwards, not backwards, and you'll do push it off till Sunday instead. Also, Tisha Be'av, we don't fast on Tisha on Shabbat. Only Yom Kippur we fast on Shabbat. That's biblical. But Tisha Be'av on Shabbat, we push it forward to Sunday. That happens today. Uh, Chagiga, uh, bringing Korban Chagiga. Every festival of the Shalosh Regalim, uh, everyone has to bring a Korban Chagiga. If it's on Shabbat, we do not bring it that day. We have to push it forwards. And also Hakel is when we gather together all of the Jewish people um, and once every seven years. And this is done on the second day of Sukkot. And this cannot be done on Shabbat. Why? Various reasons. A simple one is because it involves building a stage. The stage has to be built that day in the Bet HaMikdash. You can't have it around the day before because it gets in the way. And you can't build it on Shabbat, and therefore you have to push it off. Don't push it backwards, rather push it forwards. We have a parallel to this today. When He'iyar uh, falls out on Shabbat, we, we do not in Israel. <clears throat> they uh, commemorate Yom Asmot, not on Shabbat, also not on Sunday, because they don't want people to be preparing on Saturday to celebrate on Saturday night. Uh, and thereby violate Shabbat. So actually, um, not, probably most years, we don't celebrate Yom Asmut on He'iyar, but rather it's always pushed off to, uh, to Monday or another day um, when it falls. So anyway, that's similar to Hakel. We go forwards and not backwards. The Gemara will explain why in each of these cases, why do we go backwards and why do we go forwards? Now, regarding Mikra Megillah, even though uh, the rabbis taught that we should go uh, an earlier day and not a later date. On that day that you're reading Megillah, let's say, for example, a village is reading on Thursday, and that Thursday is the 12th of Adar. That Thursday, there, if someone dies on that day, they're allowed to give a, a, a eulogy, because even though they're reading Megillah, they're not celebrating until the 14th, which might be, let's say, the next day. Um, and Tanit, and if someone wants to fast, they had a bad dream or something, and they need to fast, they can fast. So they're only reading Megillah because it's convenient. And in a way, that's just teaching them the about the holiday and what to expect. But the main, still, the main celebration of the holiday will be on the 14th. Also, Matanot Levyonim, as we saw yesterday, giving charity to the poor will always be the same day that you read Megillah because the poor people are looking towards that. And they know, oh, reading Megillah time, everybody's together. Uh, this is when people will be generous. And so you have to give to the poor on the day that you read Megillah and not on the actual celebration day. Um, 
but this is a statement of Rebbe we saw quoted several times before, but this is the source of it in the Mishnah. When do the small villages read on Monday and Thursday earlier? Only when they usually uh, assemble on those Mondays and Thursdays. That's the usual pattern all year round. But if it's in a place or time when they are not gathering together and they're not going to the big city on Monday and Thursday, but they're going at whatever other time is, is convenient for them, then then there's no need to make them uh, have them change the date of Mikra Megila. They should read it on the 14th. Uh, the only point, the only reason we made them we allowed them to go earlier is to give be more, to be give them a leniency to be more convenient since you're already coming in on Monday and Thursday. So you find you may will will let you uh, fulfill your obligation of Megillah on that day and not have to come in an additional day. But if in any case they're not, they're coming in on different days, then they should come on the 14th. That's the Mishnah, and we'll take each section of the Mishnah in turn. First Tanah This Baraita adds two words when we talk about Batanin. That we're not talking about just that there are homeless people lying in the street, but rather these are um, people that don't have a regular job because they work in the Bet Knesset and work for the community. And therefore, they can help make a minyan. And uh, since they can always have a minyan, they can always read Megillah on any day of the week that it occurs. So that's why a city that has 10 people, minyan makers, can always read on the 14th. Now, the question is, why is Mikra Megillah always, if you can't read it that day, built because it's Shabbat, um, you always go earlier and not later. Uh, the, what's the reason? We saw this already. That this, uh, the Peshat of this Pasuk means don't uh, pass by this mitzvah, don't violate it, don't forget it. But La'avod uh, could also mean don't pass it, don't go forwards uh, past the date of the 14th. Uh, for a regular city or past the 15th for a walled city. You never go past those dates. So if you need to change the date, then you always go earlier. Once we quoted one law in the name of, the, of Shemuel, we're going to quote another one also in the name of Rabbi Abba Amar Shemuel. And this is a more general law about calendars and counting that has a lot of relevance. If you want to count a year, and this is relevant to, let's say, if someone makes a vow and says, I'm not going to drink Coca-Cola for one year. So how long does he have? Or for calculating your sites, it's important. Um, so one year, it could mean um, 365 days, which would be the number of days in a solar year. And that would be monin yamim. So Shemuel says, how do you know that you should not count days from today and count 365, but rather we count months. We count according to the lunar cycle and we'll say 12 months. What's today's date, right? 12 months from, from today, whenever that is, that will be the end of the year. And that's when my vow is done. Uh, also for calculating your yard site. We don't go by, by days of a solar calendar, but rather months of a lunar calendar. And the reason is because it says in Shemot, So we follow the, the, we count a year by the next, the next uh, small, the next largest uh, uh, unit, which is months. Good. Now, Rabbanan de Kesare, related to that, 
משום רבי אבהו אמרו, מנין של מחשבים שעות לחודשים. Similarly, when you want to count a month, and this also could have uh, different uh, relevance. For example, pijon haben, you have to count, uh, it's going to be a month from the time that the baby is born, you do pijon. How exactly should you count? So how do you know that you don't count hours, but rather a full month? Shenemad ad chodeshemim. Uh, so regarding the selav, it says you're going to have to eat this meat until one month of days. What does that show? That when you want to count what a month is, you use the next highest unit, which is days and not hours. You count days and not hours. How would that work if you counted hours? Well, hours, an average lunar month is 29 and a half days. So if you wanted to count hours, you'd have to, let's say, take the time that the baby is born and make sure that you don't do pijon ben until 29 and a half hours. Uh, what that means that even if the baby is born, let's say, a few minutes before sunset, so the 29 and a half hours might push it off to a whole nother day. Whereas if you only follow days of the month, so then you take 30 days and you count 30 days from the days the baby's born and see where that ends up. And that could also uh, often uh, be on a day, a, a, t- a date that's actually earlier than if you counted hours. This is relevant because Sepharadim only count by days and we don't care about hours. Ashkenazim, despite this Gemara, uh, do take into account that it should be after 29 and a, ha- and a half point and a few minutes uh, uh, um, uh, days after the baby is born, which means you have to take into account if the baby was born at night or in the morning or in the afternoon. But if you only go by days, then it doesn't matter what time of the day the baby is born. All right. In all these halachot, we go forwards, we push forwards. The reason why we push forward is because it's a negative day. We don't want to. We don't want to invite it and make it earlier, right? Tisha B'av. We'd rather push it off. Anything that's negative, I'd rather do it later. Maybe Mashiach will come in the meantime. We won't have to. We won't have to fast at all. So calamity, we push later. That makes sense. because the the time of obligation didn't come yet. I only have to bring a korban chagiga once the Yom Tov begins. So it would be no point in giving it a day earlier when it's not even Yom Tov yet. The day begins. Oh, that, oh, so then I have the obligation. That day happens to be Shabbat. I can't bring a Korban Chagiga on Shabbat. I don't bring anything on Shabbat unless you have to, has to be done that day, like a Korban Musaf for Shabbat. <clears throat> um, has to be done that, that day. Um, but Chagiga, I can do any day of the holiday. And therefore, since you could do it a few days from now, tomorrow, the next day, therefore it doesn't override Shabbat. And no point in doing it before. Hakel also, the whole mitzvah of Hakel does not arrive until Sukkot starts. Um, I can't do it before because then it's not time for Hakel yet. Okay, once it starts, if the second day of Sukkot is Shabbat, I can't do it today, then I'll push it off to tomorrow. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense too. Now, Tana. We have a cryptic baraita, and we have to understand what its wording means. It says Chagiga, so that I understand, Chagiga, we push off. And it says all the time of Chagiga, we push off. So what do these three words mean? We're going to see three explanations for it. Uh, the first one is, uh, is the most forced. 
בשלום החגיגת אם יקלע בשבתה, מאחרינה לה לבטל שבתה. I understand the word חגיגה, that means that if the יום טוב, the first day of יום טוב falls out on שבת, then we don't bring קורבן חגיגה on that day, we do it on Sunday, or you can do it on Monday, anytime during the holiday. אלא זמן חגיגה מהי, what do you mean that the time of חגיגה is pushed off? Answer number one. אמר רב הושעיה, הכי כאמר, חגיגה בשבת, ועולת ראייה אפילו ביום טוב, תזמן חגיגה מאחרין. So the beginning is what we know already, that חגיגה, when חגיגה falls out on שבת, the יום טוב ראשון, falls out on שבת, and you don't do it that day, you push it off. And the other thing is to teach me about עולת ראייה. Besides bringing a קורבן חגיגה, um, you also have to bring a, what is a שלמים, you also have to bring an עולה, for coming to Jerusalem. Anytime you come to Jerusalem and you see the Bet HaMikdash, you're visiting, you have to bring an Olat Re'iyah. Olat Re'iyah, not only can you not bring on Shabbat, you cannot even bring it on Yom Tov. The reason is because if it's a Shalamim, then maybe you can bring it on Yom Tov. We'll see that's Machloket, because at least you're eating it. But in Olat, you cannot bring on Yom Tov because you're not eating it at all. You can only do cook something that you are that you can benefit from. So therefore, even if it's Yom Tov, that's not Shabbat. And even though that's the same time as Chagiga, and you, would bring, and you could bring a Chagiga um, on that day, because not Shabbat, nevertheless, because Chagiga is a, is a Shalamim, so you could bring a Chagiga because you could eat it. But in Olat Reiyah, you don't bring on Yom Tov at all. And therefore, you push it off. So that's what the phrase means. Kol Zeman Chagiga is talking about another sacrifice that's brought at the same time as Chagiga. Okay, according to this explanation, Mani, who is the author of this Baraita, would be Bet Shamaihi, Ditnan, Bet Shamaomrim, Bebi'in, Shalamim, Biyom Tov, Ve'en Somchin Alehem. This would be, the author would be Bet Shamai, because he's the one that said that you can bring Shalamim on Yom Tov, you can bring Shalamim because you're eating it. And therefore, you're cooking, you're making a barbecue. You don't, you know, if it wasn't a sacrifice, you're allowed to do shechita and cook it. So if it's a shalamim also, one is allowed. You just can't do semicha, put your hands on the animal, because then you are using the animal, and that would be a melacha to put weight on the animal. So you just don't do semicha. Aval lo olot. But according to Bet Shemai, you cannot bring in ola on Yom Tov, because it's all being burnt. So it's not for achilat nefesh. And so that this baraita would make sense according to Bet Shemai, which says that olat re'iyah, which is brought on Yom Tov, which is the time of Chagiga, has to be pushed off. Um, Bet Hillel would disagree with it. Bet Hillel says you can bring shelamim. That's Bet Shemai agrees. Everyone agrees, and he says you can also bring olot on Yom Tov. It's if it's a, if it's a for celebration of the holiday. You can bring it on the holiday itself, and you can also do semicha. The reason why Betilel says you can do semicha is because he thinks it's a necessary, integral part of the, of the sacrifice. And therefore, just like you can sprinkle the blood and all that, and do shechita, because you have to do those, so to semicha is essential, because essential, you can even violate Shabbat, Shabbat or Yom Tov in order to bring them. And so Betilel permits shalamim and olot on Yom Tov, and so he would say that, yes, you can bring the uh, the um, uh, Chagiga on Yom Tov, and you can also bring the Olat on Yom Tov. All right, that was all explanation number one. Now, a simpler explanation by Rava Amar, Chagiga, Kol Zeman Chagiga Me'acharin Tefe'la. 
It's all talking about one sacrifice, just the Chagiga. The Chagiga cannot be brought, even though it's a Shalamim, cannot be brought on Shabbat because you don't bring anything on Shabbat that you could bring on a different day. And so Chagiga is pushed off. How far is it pushed off? All the time that you can bring Chagiga, meaning all, uh, all the seven days of Pesach, for example, all eight days of Sukkot, for example. Uh, but more than that, no, you can't push it off indefinitely. You can't make it 10 days later. It has to be on the holiday. And that's what the phrase means. Let's see if we can read it back in. Chagiga. Vecholzman chagiga, meaning chagiga, all the time that you give me chagiga, we push it off that far and not any farther. Uh, you see, actually, takes off the vav, which makes it read more smoothly. Chagiga, or as long as you can bring chagiga, you can bring it that late, but not later than that. And this is true because we find it in the Mishnan Chagi Masechet Chagiga Ditnan. Mishelo Chag Beshiom Tovarishon Shachag, Chogeg Holechet Kola Regel Kulo. Anyone who did not bring the Koban Chagiga on, on Yom Tov itself um, the, the, uh, can bring it all of the holiday, even on Shemini Asedet. Even though Shemini Asedet is technically a separate holiday, not part of Sukkot, nevertheless, you could bring your Chagiga as a makeup for if you didn't bring it the first day. However, if the holiday finished altogether, and now it's past, even past Shemini uh, Aseret, uh, then that's it. You lost your opportunity. You lost your chance and you don't even do anything. You wouldn't even pay a restitution for it. Um, you, you, lost the, you lost the chance. Okay, that's the, that was the second interpretation. The third of Rav Asheh is very similar to the second. Rav Asheh Amar, Chagiga vechol zeman chagiga ma'acharin v'afilu aseret dechad yoma ma'acharin. That chagiga, and all the time that you can bring chagiga, you can push it off if you can't bring chagiga or if you didn't on the first day. And even aseret means Shavuot. Shavuot is only one day. So I might have thought that since Shavuot is only one day, I have to bring chagiga on that day. And if I miss the opportunity, then that's it. There's no makeup because it's only one day. So this teaches that no, uh, even though Shavuot is one day, it, we because uh, it's a kind of a ghost holiday, and the six days after that, six days after you can still bring Korban Chagiga uh, in commemoration as a makeup for that one day. And until today, we don't say Tachanun on Shavuot, and for the six days following Shavuot, because those are the Yemeha Miluim when you can uh, bring that sacrifice. Everybody agrees that, um, including Betilel, that if I said it, if Shavuot is on Shabbat, then you would do the sacrifice after Shabbat. Okay, good. That was all three interpretations of that Baraita. And now we're going to see a really interesting uh, uh, statement about, um, uh, about Rabbi Udanasi. Some three strange things he did, and we have to explain why he did the strange activity. Number one, he planted something on Purim, and that's going to be controversial because there's an opinion that you can't do work on Purim. Second, this is not Corona, the virus, rather, Corona comes from a Greek word, which means a spring or a well. He washed himself in a, in a, in a spring of water, in Sipori, Shel Sipori, Tamuz, on the 17th of Tammuz, even though that's a fast day. So what was he doing washing himself on a fast day is a good question. Uh, the commentaries here explain either 
he felt that 17th of Tammuz is not an obligatory fast day. Remember, we saw Masechah Rosh Hashanah that said, um, if it's a time of not peace and not persecution, then it's optional. And so maybe he felt optional and he didn't have to. So he didn't observe the fast. But that's not likely because it doesn't say he ate on 17th of Tammuz in public. It only says he washed. So probably what he's coming, this is coming to teach is that on the minor fast days, although you're not allowed to eat and drink, you're allowed to wash, which is the halakha today. You're allowed to, right? You're allowed to wash on a fast day. So he washed even in public on the 17th. And third, and he wanted to uproot Tisha B'Av. This is insane. What does that even mean? Because it seems like Tisha B'Av was observed even when the second Betta Mikdash was up. So how could you, and why would he want to uproot Tisha B'Av? So this requires explanation. In any case, the rabbis did not agree with him on these matters. At least, not, at least regarding the third matter, they did not agree with him. Tisha B'Av. Okay, so let's explain this. Abba says, you got only half the story. That's not actually what happened. That year, Tisha B'Av fell out on Shabbat. This makes sense why we're, why we're quoting this here, because that's what we were talking about before. And, and because we don't fast on Shabbat, so they pushed it off to Sunday. So the B says, oh, you're already pushing it off. We're not actually fasting on the 9th of Av. You're doing it on the 10th of Av. Oh, so then we should forget about it. Once you're pushing it, you may as well push it. The B had the same phrase on yesterday's daf. They said, once um, you're pushing a wall, once you're pushing an unwalled city from Shabbat to Friday, you may as well push it back to Thursday, right? So that this follows his, his general opinion. That's what it means. He didn't want to uproot all Tisha B'Av altogether, but only a pushed off uh, Tisha B'Av. And the sages did not agree with him. Why didn't they agree with him? Well, one, maybe because actually the 10th is the real day we saw. The Biochanan actually wanted to make Tisha B'Av on the 10th. And in any case, even if it's not the real day, we should commemorate it uh, on, on, on whatever appropriate uh, whatever appropriate day is appropriate. Okay. After that, they said two is better than one. See, because see, you remember the beginning of the story, but not the end of the story. So now that we're together, uh, we can fill in the details of the story. And it's always better to learn with someone so that if you make a mistake or forget something, uh, the other person can fill it in. Okay, so now regarding uh, the bee planting, the bee hechi natanati abe purim. How could he do that? How could he plant on Purim? After all, we're going to learn that you can't do work on Purim. Hatani Rav Yosef. Simcha ve'yom tov. Simcha So these three words each come to teach something. You have to be happy on Purim. Well, then you can't eulogize. Mishteh betani. You have to have a seuda. So that means you can't fast. Ve'yom tov. Since Purim is called a yom tov, that means you cannot do work and you cannot plant. So how did the bee do this? Okay, we're going to see, it's like a ping pong match. We're going to see some back and forth to figure out how he did this. But we'll see a couple of uh, satisfactory answers. Simple answer. The bee was, lived in the city where they, they read Megillah on the 14th. And so the 14th was his holiday. He didn't do any work on the 14th. But then he planted on the 15th. So although it was Purim, technically Purim for some people, but not for him. And that's why he planted 
on the 15th? Okay, that would be a simple answer. The question is, Rabbi lived in Tiberias. And that's a walled city. And the walled city reads on the 15th, so that can't be. All right, so we'll flip it around. Rabbi was a person who reads on the 15th. That was his holiday. He didn't do any work on the 15th. But the 14th is not his holiday, so therefore he planted on the 14th. Okay, so far so good. But more problems. Are you so sure that Tiberia is a day, is a, is a city that was had a wall and reads on the 15th? Chizkiah wasn't sure about it. And he, when he was in Tiberia, he would read on the 14th and the 15th because he was in doubt. In case it didn't have a wall, he read on the fourth. In case it did have a wall, he read on the fifteenth. So you see that it's not clear that's one that it's a, a, a walled city, and therefore the B should have read on both and should have refrained from working also on both. So we respond to that. Okay, but so what? Biudanasi, he was he maybe he was greater and he knew he knew that he knew this history. Uh, is archaeology better? And he knew that it did have a wall. So just because Chizkiah didn't know doesn't mean the B doesn't know either. All right. So we got out of that question. Wait a second. Even if he knows that it's on the 15th, still, is he allowed to do work on the 14th? And Megilatanit, which we've been referring to a lot of times already, um, it says, that the 14th and the 15th are the days of Purim. Now, the Megillah Tanit doesn't actually have to tell us this because this it's in Tanakh, right? The days, the 14th and the 15th are holidays in Tanakh. So why is the Megillah Tanit coming to add? Must be coming to add that you are not allowed to do any, you have to celebrate both days no matter where you are. And that's what Ava said. It comes to teach us that even if you're a 15 guy, you still shouldn't do work on the 14th. And even if you read on the 14th, you still shouldn't do work on the 15th. Um, like today, we say we don't say Tachanun on the 14th and 15th, no matter where you are. So therefore, the B should not have planted on the 14th, even if he knows that Tiberia is a walled city and he read on the 15th. So we answer, No, when the Megillah Tani says, you should, you should honor the 14th and the 15th. That just means celebrate it by not eulogizing and have, not, by not fasting. That both days apply, right? Even if I'm in an unwalled city and we have a funeral on the 15th, we're still not going to say uh, a eulogy. But regarding not doing work, that only applies on one day, on the day you read. And this derasha that Rava made from Megillah Tanit does not apply to not doing work. And so Rava was okay. Um, and he was able to replant on the 14th and read on the 15th. All right, good. Now, Ini, we have a contradictory statement. Rav once saw a certain person who was planting flax on Purim, and Rav didn't like what he was doing that. So Rav cursed him, and the flax never grew. That's a story. And so it looks like you're not allowed to do work. Um, and so we say, well, who, who says that that was a different day? Maybe 
maybe that guy was reading on the 14th and planted on the 14th. And that's why he shouldn't have done work on that day. The story doesn't say it was on a, what day it was. So everything so far is so good, right? That the bee planted on the different day than he read. And this man who was cursed planted on the same day that he read. And so all that would go, but all that is satisfactory. And we have an answer. But we're going to give yet another answer to explain it to be. We can even say that the Biudanasi, in fact, did plant on the very same day that he read. And he, uh, or the Jewish people, accepted uh, not, not eulogizing and not fasting on Purim, but we never accepted the idea of not doing, um, of not working on Yom Tov. And since that wasn't accepted, even if there was once upon a time, halacha, that the people, rabbis tried to enact it, if the people don't accept it, so it's permitted. And therefore, he must have thought that it is permitted. And how can you tell that the rabbis tried to say no working? They wanted to make Purim like a Yom Tov, right? Like totally, or maybe at least like Cholomoed, something like that. Um, but it didn't work. Because you look at, compare these two Pesukim in Esther. The Pasuk in 919 says all three, and from Yom Tov we learned that you can't do work. Later on in that same chapter, in Pasuk 22, it says, It doesn't say Yom Tov. Which means that although uh, Esther and Mordechai and the Anshek and tried to make it a severe, pro- high-level prohibition, can't even a uh, high-level holiday and can't even do malacha, it was not accepted. Since it wasn't accepted, it's permitted. And this is a much broader answer. And this would totally explain that a bee could plant whenever he wanted. Okay, this, however, is too broad because now we have a question on that story. Why did I have cursed this poor guy? If in any case, right, we see that the, the, um, the enactment of no work on Purim was never accepted. So what's wrong with this guy who was planting flax? Why did I have cursed him? And the answer is, There's a category of custom that even though it's permitted, if some people take upon themselves a stringency, then they have to continue in that stringency. This is actually very important because within this is two types of customs. If if um, people, uh, if there's a law that's, that's permitted and people mistakenly think it's not permitted and so they're stringent, in that case, it's just minhag ta'ut, right? They, you thought it was not allowed, but actually it was allowed. You were, I was out of ignorance. Those people can stop doing it. But if there's a group of people that knows something is permitted, but take upon themselves a stringency anyway, and that's their tradition to be stringent, then they're not allowed to undo it. They have to follow the stringency um, because it was taken not in, out of ignorance, but out of a special commitment, an extra fence. Um, like there was one family that would not, in the Talmud, Talmudic times, that would not travel on Friday, even a short trip, because just in case. So everybody knows it's permitted and they were machmir upon themselves. Therefore, they can't give it up. And the same, same would be here in the place where Rav lived and where this guy planting flax was was a place that they um, had a custom of not working on Purim. And therefore, that's why he, he uh, Rav, cursed him out. But in the place of Rabi, there was not such a custom. Everybody worked in the place of Rabi, and therefore Rabi was totally permitted. And as the second explanation of Rabi, it was totally allowed, not just that it was on a different day. And now a third answer to explain Rabi's behavior, 
maybe Rabbi actually lived in a place where the custom was not to do work on Purim. And so really, you cannot do a normal planting if it's for working because you want to grow things. But uh, a, a happy planting is different. What's a happy planting? We saw that if the 13 fasts pass and we don't get rain, so then we go into a period of sadness and we show our depression by limiting our business transactions and we limit our buildings. We don't build, uh, you know, uh, uh, building uh, houses and projects and planting and also uh, getting married because it's a sad time. People are going to die of starvation. And so we do all these things. And we learned about that Mishnah. This is Binyan, Binyan Shel Simcha. You know what kind of Binyan is not allowed? Only a binyan of happiness and only a happy planting is not allowed. A regular planting would be okay. What does that mean? If you're building a, a wedding canopy for your son, they used to make, not like today, we just do four poles. They used to make a little house or a tent that where they would rest, where they would sleep for seven days and everybody would celebrate with the couple. So that's a happy building. That is what is not permitted um, when there's no rain, but if it's just if you need to, you know, fix your 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 deck, that's not just that's just a regular building. You just need to fix it. That's okay. And what is And only a happy planting would be permitted prohibited at that time. What is that? That's for example, planting something in a royal garden, something that just brings happiness and shade. Another interpretation is that sometimes when uh, someone, a, a baby was born, they would plant a tree. And then when the baby grew up, they would use the wood of that tree for, for making his wedding canopy. So this was like a special celebratory built, a planting. But if it's just regular planting that just to get food, then that would be permitted. And so the bee on, uh, so these things are, uh, happy planting are, is prohibited when it's a fasting time and there's no rain. There'd be the, the opposite. On Purim, you can't do regular planting. That's just work. That's just work. And you can't, he, had the, he was in a place of a custom where, where they had the custom not to do work. But he did a happy planting. He went and planted a special decorative tree, a royal garden, or to celebrate something. And therefore, that kind of planting is permitted uh, on Purim because it's not about work. It's about actually helping you enjoy the holiday. All right, well, that's a great point. Now, Gufa, we mentioned before that Chizkiyah kari betiberia ba'abesa ba'chamesar. Besa pekalei mokevet chomam mot Yeshua benun hi ila. Chizkiyah, he read Megillah on the 14th and the 15th because he wasn't sure if Tiberia has a, had, had a wall from the time of Yeshua benun or if it was a later wall. So he had to read on both. Let's analyze this further. Mimesa pekalei milita de Tiberia, was he really in doubt? The Pasuk in Yoshua that says they fortified these three cities. And and the, the second one mentioned, Rakat, uh, the, sorry, there's four cities, and Rakat, the third one mentioned, is all associated with Tiberia. And Yoshua built it. If it says he built it as a fortified city, that means he built a wall around it. That's what it means to be fortified. So why do you have why do you have a, a safek? 
he should have known this pasuk and should have known this association and therefore should have so only read on the 15th. The answer is, He wasn't sure because Tiberius rests on the water, on the Yamakinedit. And therefore, it actually only has three walls and the, the, last, uh, the last side is open, right? The fourth wall is open to the sea and there's no wall there. So I wasn't sure, is that considered a walled city or not? All right, so that was a sefik. Now, Igman is going to say you should not have had a sefik because it's a derasha that we learn regarding a bate yir choma uh, that says that such a thing is not considered a walled city. That for sure is not a walled city. In Baikra, I was talking about um, if you sell a house in a walled city, the return, you have a return policy of one year, right? The seller can go and get it back within one year. But that's only if it's in a walled city. Now, the, we have the word asher lo choma. And what did we learn from those words? Velo shur igad. So we learn it has to have a wall and not a wall and not simply a wall of roofs. Let's say there's like row houses and the roofs all connect to one another. So those roofs act as a kind of protective wall. That doesn't count to make it a walled city if it only has that. And then from the word saviv, we learn, and so this is very specific, and this is this excludes Tiberius because it's the sea is a wall. It doesn't have a wall on the fourth side. It's only protected because it's difficult for an enemy to come and attack by sea. So that's the, instead of a wall, it has a sea. And therefore that is not included and not considered a walled city for the law of if one sells a house inside. He does not have that limit on the return policy of one year. So now back to the question. The question is on, on Chizkiah. How come he had a doubt? Didn't he know this Pasuk and this Midrash? And according to that, it's not a walled city. He should have read only on the 14th. It's never never been a walled city because it never had four, wall, four walls. And the answer to explain Chizkiah is Yes, he knew the halacha, he knew all this, and he knew that regarding the house, selling a house of a walled city, he had no sefik that is not considered a walled city. But his question was, do, does, do all the criteria of a walled city for the law of selling houses apply equally to the need of a walled city to read on the 15th? Maybe not. You can have, say it in two ways. My pedazim or my mukafin. After all, the Megillat Esther talks about areha pedazim, the sprawling open cities, right? Which is, you know, like the complete opposite. Uh, it sounds like it has no walls. My mukafin, what does it mean if it's if it's walled? On the one end, you could say, perhaps the idea is that an unwalled city is exposed um, uh, whereas a walled city is not exposed, while Tiberia has only three walls, so the fourth wall is technically exposed, and therefore it would be like an unwalled city. Or maybe the difference, the essential difference is that a walled city is protected, an unwalled city is not protected, while Tiberius is protected, because it has three walls and a sea. And if the main thing is not being open, but rather being protected, then for the law of Mikra Megillah, Tiberius would be considered a walled city, and therefore he would read on the 15th. And therefore, that's what he didn't know. He didn't know if we should apply 
all the same criteria of a walled city from the law of selling houses to Mikra Megila. If you do apply it, then you're right, it's exposed and it would be an unwalled city and read on the 14th, but maybe not, maybe it's not the same. And it's about being protected and is protected and therefore read on the 15th and that was his sefik. Okay, last, last paragraph. In a different city in Usal, a, a small city in Bavel, um, Rav Aseh wasn't sure about it, and he read on the 14th and the 15th. He wasn't sure if it had a wall um, in time of Yoshua Benun or not. Um, so it was the old city, and he didn't know, so he read on both days. That's one version of Rav Aseh. Another version, Ika de Amad Rav Aseh, the second version, he wasn't in Safek, he knew. Husal is from the well, from was from the tribe of Binyamin, and in fact, it was uh, it was an important city, and it was it did have a wall from the time of Yoshua Binun, and therefore you should for sure read on the 15th. All right, so we're not sure about whether Rav Aseh was sure or not about the city of Hutzal, and so we'll have to leave that doubt standing. Baruch Adonai Lolam, Amen ve'amen.